up everybody you are listening to suds buds presents pints and pixar the podcast where we chat about the films of our childhood over an adult beverage i'm your host eric anderson and with me as always in the studio co-host of the show the lovable the long-haired the voluptuous (laughs) mr nate up padel voluptuous i love it i love it no notes. No get, notes on that intro. He got so excited he yep. hit his head on the microphone. <laughs> I know last week you screwed up. I'm happy you got it out this week. I made up for it yeah, this week. You. I had to. Look at us. Well, as, cohesive unit. <laughs> as as friend of the show Jordan would say, you know how we do. We are talking Finding Dory, the hit 2016 film from Pixar this week. Because that is how we do. That is how we do. Actually, to be honest, I don't know how Jordan do. I don't either. No. He um, says that I do, but I don't I, I don't do. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like how Jordan does is probably playing some loud metal and some Doom Eternal and drinking a Belgian. Writing with his quill. Writing with a quill pen. I really yeah. hope that's what he's doing right now. That would make me very happy. <laughs> yes. Jordan, yep. I hope you're well. <laughs> um so yeah man how you doing oh, pretty good pretty uh oh th- i got some i got some mixed feelings about this one today like just i don't know this is another one of those sequels that kind of like the monsters you episode yeah where like it just i don't, I, I don't want to get too much into it because we'll be covering it a lot later um yeah. yeah, I'm not as excited about this one as last week. That's fair. Yep. So, uh, worth mentioning, 13 years separate this and the first of the Finding films, Finding Nemo. So, Do clown fish even live for 13 years? That's a great question. I'm going to look that up. Maybe you Google that. I'm going to Google that. Um, but yeah, man, uh, last week we chatted about Finding Nemo. We both liked it. I think I gave it my number three spot, and I think you put it kind of middle of the pack. Yeah, I think so. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a beautiful film. I think it holds up. It's a louder movie than I remember. There's a lot of yelling in that movie. Like, a lot of yelling, especially from, like, Marlon. Yeah, just, it's a, it's a very loud movie, but very pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, Right off the bat... For 13 years separating these films, I don't think there is a huge leap in animation. No, I mean, it was kind of tough. Like, I feel like they they didn't want to um, 
because there's so much happening in the background. Yeah. I almost got to imagine they kind of maybe stifled themselves a little bit on it, or they just were way above and beyond on the first one because, yeah, they looked, I mean, they looked like they came out a year apart. Um, yeah. It they, wasn't as drastic of a jump as we saw from some of like the Toy Story stuff or even like, you know, some of the textures and Bugs Life moving forward. But, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe this one was just kind of far enough along because like the Toy Story Bugs Life, like that was real early into animation. True. Um, and not saying that it's plateaued, but like Pixar was kind of always above and beyond. Right. And so modern animation, I mean, Bugs or. Finding Dory, especially like watching the first one, or Finding Nemo, it was one of those where it's like, this doesn't even look like an old movie. No. You know what I mean? It really didn't. No, Finding Nemo still holds up really well just as far as its uh, its appearance. It's, uh, yep. it's Basi- a pretty film. Basically, the only things in Finding Nemo that kind of looked dated were like bubbles. Yeah. Like airflow yeah, through water was kind of a weird one. Um, granted... In some of the scenes, it was like, there's a lot of bubbles, so you can just kind of let, make it look chaotic. Right. But, like, where Nemo got, like, splashed into some water or something, that was a little noticeable. Uh, but in this one, I didn't really notice that that much. Yeah. I think, yeah, most of the water stuff looked better in this one. And, then, again, lighting was slightly noticeably better. But yep. other than that... Finding Dory is a pretty movie. Finding Nemo is a good movie. We both liked Finding Nemo. Um, also, uh, clownfish lifespan three to five years. So you know, put that in, put that in your in your fish and smoke it. Yeah, so what it's worth, uh, Nemo and Marlin are dead. Yep. Um. Yeah, and that's a wrap. Finding yeah, exactly. Dory. Finding Dory. Everyone died. Yeah. Uh, we had a great time today. Drank <laughs> some good beers. Um. No, but in all serious, what do you say we get to the beer? Yeah, let's get to that beer. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in this one. Well, I'll, I'll let, this was your pick. I'll let you get this one. This was my pick. This comes to us from our friends over at Ambibulous, as well as our friends at Portage. And let me let me clarify. We get a lot of beer from Ambibulous, but it's very <laughs> seldom we get a beer brewed in collaboration with Ambibulous. So this is a collaboration. Portage and Ambibulous. And uh, Portage is located in Walker, Minnesota. Used to have a family cabin up there. Hey. It's a pretty area. Yeah. I think Moondance Jam and Country is up there. Moondance Jam? I believe it is. Oh, yeehaw. Yeehaw. I think yeehaw. there's a casino not too far away. It yeah. always is. But <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, this is called Pears Well. It's a fruited, hazy pale ale. And it does not have pears in it. But I think it would be a lot cooler if it did. How about a beer with pears and well water called Pears Well? But <laughs> this is not that. This is a fruited hazy IPA with strawberries, Belma hops, hibiscus, and lemon. There's a ton of iron in it. <laughs> iron and pears. Yo, my parents' well water, I got to give you some of that water. You like that water? Dude, they're... Got good well? They got good well water. Ooh. It is prime well water. I will... 50-50 chance when I go back home, I come back with like a jug of water. Okay. That usually half gets drank on the way back and then put in the fridge. And usually it's just like an old, like, uh, ocean spray jug, like, that I just fill up. But, sure. dude, it's so good. And it doesn't have that kind of, like, rusty ironing taste that you get from some well water. It's just. Okay. But, like, good. that, that, is, well water's that, got that weird, like, 
very um, outdoorsy kind of flavor. I don't really know how to describe it. This I think I like because I know it's coming from a good place and it's got such a absence of flavor. Oh, okay. And when you get that shit cold, man, I mm. oof. I love well water. Can drink that like it's going out of style. Water. Water. It's going out of style. <laughs> but I've I've talked a lot about childhood and not much about this beer, so Little pears well. Pears well. Pears well. Dang. Nah, I honestly can't stop thinking about a pear and well water beer. Um, I think this might be a new one for me, Nate. Uh-oh. This is a fruited hazy IPA, but I can tell from this foam already, we're going to be drinking a pink beer. Pink beer? Possibly even a red beer. I don't know. I'm, I'm okay. baffled. I'm, uh, uh, I've found myself in a bit of a quagmire. Oh, that is that is real pink. That's like prickly pear pink. Look at him pouring himself first and pouring and sipping off the top. That's fine. I'll do it myself, Eric. I got you. Pass the glass, Holmes. Okay. That is a very pink beer. Holy. Okay. Okay. And uh, blessing on blessings on the suds buds carpet because it. Uh, Took a few drops there. Well, you know, it's yellow. Now it's yellow and pink. Yeah. Oh, that, I can't even. There's no light coming through this at all. Well, let's That's dive what... in, man. All right. Hey, dive in. There you are with the puns. That's what we like to see. Okay. Lots of strizzle bizzle right on the front end of that. Mm-hmm. Strizzle Bizzle, for um, for those who are unaware, is uh, strawberry. Yes, yes. A, um, the technical term is actually Strizzle Bizzle. It comes from the uh, the Bizzle region of... Um, strizzle. Of, <laughs> of striv- Strizzle, uh, which is for sure a country in... Um, Belgium. Yeah. <laughs> um, and as Mr. Belgium, you can trust me on that. You don't have to look it up. Um, strizzle. <laughs> strizzle Bizzle, the official fruit of Strizzle. Poor shizzle. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. What do you say we get to uh, plot summary? Oh, uh, plot, yeah. plot. Uh, you, you rushing me here, boy? I don't know. You, you do anything fun these past couple days? Anything fun this weekend? <sighs> Not really. It's just, just been a busy week. Um, I got a wedding coming up next week in Texas. So I got, you know, mentally preparing for that. Yeah. Gonna, gonna yee-haw a lot. <laughs> I'm probably gonna square dance. I don't know. I don't know what those people do there. Are you gonna get a hat? I'm gonna drink a shit ton of Yingling. That's what I'm gonna do. Are you Maybe I'll get a cowboy, cowboy hat. hat. Uh, I think I'm gonna get ostrich skin boots. God. You ever seen ostrich skin boots? No, but I just want you Look to get a up. cowboy hat. Look it up. Look okay. up ostrich skin boots. It's super weird. Like Jamie, look up ostrich skin boots. <laughs> we don't have Joe Rogan's. Uh, internet person here. Um, oh, that's what I'm saying. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's got a weird texture to it. Were you thinking something kind of like, uh, kind of like this, like on the bottoms? I, I was going more tops, but like maybe. I kind of like that because that's. I don't know, man. But also, we'll be in um, East Texas, so there's going to be a lot of seafood being eaten. Um, Are ostrich skin boots vegan? Yes. 
don't look it up. They're absolutely vegan. Dude, cool. Yeah, no, it's like uh, it's kind of a cool texture. Um, I didn't really know it was a thing until last time I was down in Texas and like I was hitting a thrift store, picked up some gator skin loafers, which I love, uh, but I do have to get them re-cobbled. You're like Ric Flair, dude. <laughs> no, like that's Ric Flair said, and I can't keep these gators down. Can't keep these gators down. I'm sorry. I, I know I did the John Cena thing. Um, I apologize. I kind of yeah, he, he took offense to you that. You messed it up, man. I did. I'm sorry. What's Ric Flair's thing? Uh, I believe it's um. Is Flight of the Concords is. That's that's not it. No, because it's it's the 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, okay. Sorry, I always get that confused with Flight of the Concords. It's the it's it's the one that we talked about in the throwback Toy Story two, the Buzz Lightyear, the intro mm. where he's hopping across the. That's Ric Flair's entrance. Oh, okay, that's kind of cool. Bum, 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 bum. It's a little anticlimactic. Oh, dude, it's great. You see a right, old just... man with with saggy boobies and a, a sequin robe and and bleached hair walking out ready to kick some ass wooing to that to that song <laughs> i mean you know someone's gonna bleed and it's probably gonna be rick flair <laughs> that's because he's old yeah and that's just kind of what they do yeah that dude used to leak you know how they do <sighs> shout out to jordan <laughs> shout out to jordan shout out to rick flair uh shout out to finding dory's plot um this one nice yeah hey thanks that's called a bridge i got it um (laughs) finding dory uh so we start off with like a childhood experience uh dory basically kind of getting reined in from her parents um trying to raise a fish with short-term memory loss um there's a lot of struggle back and forth um kind of sit on it for a while and then all of a sudden, uh, baby Dory is kind of out in the middle of the ocean on her own. Um, doesn't really give a whole lot of um, explanation as to why. And just kind of slowly trying to get help from people. Um, and then time kind of passes. So it's a weird montage kind of thing. Because she's slowly growing up, um, continuously asking for help and getting nothing from anybody. Uh, basically her problems are too complicated for the the normal passerby to spend any time on um it's kind of what the whole thing's coming to very very depressing very sad um and then all of a sudden we see a boat pass overhead and it goes cuts to marlin like it basically cuts to a scene from the first movie um which is i thought was a really well done kind of bridge timeline where it's like it shows her growing up kind of foreshadowing what the movie's going to be about and then runs straight into the um where we know her from Mm, yep so i did think that was really well done um but then kind of plays out that clip from the first movie and then we fast forward to a year later um which as we've established clownfish only lived three to five years Nemo's roughly the same size. Eh. Um, but they 
Um, yeah, so it's kind of showing what their life's like after the first movie. So this place basically takes place, yeah, one year after the first. Um, and at this point, she's basically been adopted by yeah. Nemo and Marlin. Yeah, just a little family. Um, Nemo does seem to still have a little bit of resentment. Um, Nemo's essentially the Woody of these movies. Um, Disagree. You can, but this is my thing. You can disagree on your fun facts, but this is Nate's plot summary. It's a little more dry of a segment, but uh, this is this is my this is my show. All right, you got no help for the next forty-five <laughs> minutes because that's usually how long it takes you to get through the plot Ooh, summary. This is Nate's house of plot. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Plot Dome. Anyway, um. Yeah, so they're kind of going through like a day in the life, um, and they it's Nemo's off to school, and it kind of seems like Dory's been joining them at school, um, still having memory or short term memory loss issues, but kind of like coping with them, figuring out how that all works. They roll in. Um, and Nemo kind of tries to convince Dory. Nemo must have had a conversation with Mr. Ray, the school teacher, um, but kind of try to convince Dory that, like, hey, he doesn't exactly have time to keep track of you and all the students. Dory, being kind of just oblivious to the situation, assumes that means she's been promoted to teacher's assistant. Um, ends up going on their field trip anyway. And... All of a sudden, Dory starts having, get to the drop-off, and Dory starts having a bunch of flashbacks to her childhood, which she gets then very excited about, Um, and this movie moves super quick, Uh, but it goes from her having these flashbacks to needing to go find her family, kind of pulls on Marlon's heartstrings a little bit about wanting to find your family again, since that's the whole plot of the first movie. And Marlin has to be convinced of that. Has no empathy. Woody. Um, and they end up setting off on an adventure to find Dory's family. Um, they determine that they need to cross the entire ocean to California. Uh, which seems like a tall order. They're like, that'll take six months. And like, again, clownfish live three to five years. We already know that this was one year past Finding Nemo. And we already know... So, like, best case scenario, Marlin is two years old, right? Yeah. Best case scenario. But even then, Nemo is still essentially a child in this movie. He's kind of got a little more, like, teenager attitude. He does give a lot of attitude. So let's estimate Marlin is two and a half. Two and a half years old. So that means this six months would essentially be potentially Marlin's entire life cycle. But whatever. Plot hole. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But they set off. They get on the EAC, the um, East Australian Current. uh, Meet up with Crush again. And again, it kind of cuts out. Like, all of the random crap they had to do first time around, we just skip right over to they're on the current. 
they're basically in California within the first half an hour of the movie. Yeah, this movie kind of likes to do that a lot. Yep. Where, like, they... Yeah, it's just huge blocks of traveling. Like, in the first movie, shit, something was happening every 15 minutes. Yep. And it was... They're barely making any progress. And in this one, they skip basically the entire ocean from wherever this drop-off is to California yep within a half hour yeah yeah kind of wild yeah um and then dory keeps having flashbacks so basically the whole trip is guided by dory's flashbacks my favorite scene in the movie was where dory's kind of swimming around this dock looking for clues and somebody starts talking to her and it just straight up says i'm sigourney weaver (laughs) and i was like and I had never seen this movie before. Right, me either. And I was like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> yep. Um, and it comes up multiple more times throughout the film, and other characters yep. reference Sigourney Weaver. She's yep. She's a pretty big part of uh, comic relief in this film. Yep. It was it was just a fun, real fun little bit. Um, but they end up at this essentially uh, fish sanctuary, sea life sanctuary. Yeah, the three R's. It's like... Uh rescue rehabilitate release yep they call it quarantine yep which also quarantine said a lot of times in this film for a film that came out four years before we all inevitably had to spend the better part of a year in some form of quarantine are you telling me that sigourney weaver is responsible for COVID 19 i'm saying maybe finding dory is mm. uh you know but sigourney weaver cured COVID 19 no. Let's keep Sigourney Weaver out of COVID-19. I won't. That woman looks fantastic for being in probably her, dare I say, 70s now? I, there's no way she's 70. Bet. Jamie, please look up uh, how old Sigourney Weaver is. On it. Uh, <laughs> you ever seen a Galaxy Quest? Yep. Oh, man. Love Sigourney that movie. Weaver has got to be 50 years old in that movie, and that came out in 1999. I that like and she is fine in that movie i watched that movie a bunch of times when i was younger do you want to know do you want to know her age hold on i watched that movie a bunch of times when i was younger watched it like maybe eight months ago again and I, that is when i realized sigourney weaver was in it i had no idea that's who that was i was like why does this person look so familiar what else have i seen her in finally looked up the cast list i was like holy shit yeah yeah, no idea. She's great in that movie, and yep. that movie holds up. Yep, that's a fun one. 1999 was when Galaxy Quest was released. Sigourney Weaver, today, 71 years old. 71? Dude, she was 50 in Galaxy Damn. Quest. Damn. Good job. Good job, Sigourney Weaver. Right? <laughs> Damn. All right, Nate and I uh, fanboyed out enough. Let's, uh... Yeah. Back to it. Um, so, kind of a reminiscent of the first movie... Dory gets scooped up. Uh, she had gotten caught up in um, the little six-pack rings, like the little plastic things that everybody always tells you to cut open so fish don't get stuck in it. Yeah, this is probably a good time to mention that, too. Uh, yeah. If you buy a beer, which you probably do because you listen to the show, if you get cheap beer that comes in the little plastic rings, snip them before you yeah. toss it out. If you get the plastic ones that cover the cans, don't throw them in your recycle bin. Actually... Take them to a uh, local liquor store or brewery. Chances are they will take them from you. And some of them incentivize the return of those little can toppers. Um, I know Ambibulous will take them. So shout out. We're drinking one of their beers. Yeah. 
Save uh, some fish. Actually, I did learn a fun thing about that because, like, on the pack, t- they're called pack techs. Sure. Um, on those, it says that they are recyclable, and that they are, but they it does require like a special or a specialty thing, mm-hmm. and Minnesota does not recycle those. Gotcha. So that's why here they are not recyclable. Gotcha. Even though they're heavy plastic, and they say they are, they are not. Um, there was a brewery a few years ago that was making those tops out of like some form of spent malt. Oh. And they were like a, basically like a heavy cardboard type thing that was like water soluble. And oh. basically the idea was that it would break down naturally compost and it was all kind of food grade ingredients inside of it. Um, but yeah, Should there were videos of fish expensive. eating it actually. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. It's a big cracker. Like a big, big, uh, imagine topping your beers with the, the, the church wafer, the, <laughs> the, the cheese it as one of my, or no, no, jeez it. It's one of my friends referred to uh, recently. Yes, jeez it. Um, yeah, the, uh, the suds of Christ. We've probably pissed a few people off and probably made a few really happy. So hey, there we go. That's what we're here to do. Exactly. As long as we tow that line, we'll be all right. Yeah. So bringing us back, Nate. <laughs> What okay. Do we got? What do we got? Talk to me, brother. All right. Um. So yeah, Dory gets scooped up. Uh, she gets put into quarantine, and gets uh gets a tag put on her fin, um, which is where we meet the octopus character, who I don't know what his name is. I think um, it was said like Hank. once. Is it Hank? He's Hank. Okay, Hank. Hank the octopus. Again, this movie moves super quick, and introduces characters. With next to no story, no backstory to it, and lots of crowd scenes where we have multiple characters interacting, and yep, yeah, it's a lot. Um, but Hank is a octopus that had lost a tentacle, had been rehabbed, and is trying to get sent to, um, basically a aquarium in Oakland, right? Was it Oakland? Um, pretty sure it's Oakland. Yeah, it was somewhere in California. I don't... It starts with an O. That's all I can really remember. I don't think it was Oakland. Maybe it was. Either way, um, basically this aquarium is for fish that can't really be re-released. Like, they're too damaged or they're... Yeah, they, they can't be set back free into the wild. And he's that's what the tag that was put on Dory was meant for. Um and so he's trying to get this tag from Dory due to her short-term memory loss and her motivation to find her parents. Basically, the she convinces the octopus or Hank to help her find her parents in this giant aquarium slash rehabilitation center. Yes. Um, so they kind of set off on an adventure, scooting all over. Um, Hank is... Very good at what he does, hiding. Um, octopus are not that great at... They're good at blending into environments, but this movie made it seem like they are masters of disguise. They are not cuttlefish. Cuttlefish are very good at that. Yeah. Octopus, eh, they're fine. They definitely got his intelligence like on the dot because octopus are also like very smart creatures. You ever and... see that video of the one in the peanut butter jar? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they can fully like open jars and you know, they understand hold utensils and pencils and things like that. It's wild. Yep. Um, but yeah, they definitely um, Hank the octopus. He was very 
when he was first introduced, I was like, okay, this is like, I was kind of thought, I kind of thought he was going to be like our lot. So in a lot of ways, I was like, okay, finding Dory, we got a good villain. We got a good boss character, like right off the bat. And, um, he was very manipulative right off the bat and pretty good at it. Like when he figured out that she had short-term memory loss, he was like, boom, yep, all over that exposed it, exploited it pretty sad but by the end of this we find that he's hank isn't quite the you know he's kind of the classic don't judge a book by its cover yeah um he's he's damaged goods exactly his whole thing is that he's actually set to be re-released but he doesn't want to go back right to the ocean he wants to stay in an aquarium by himself just kind of like hang out by himself yep um but yeah he can or dory basically convinces him to get her to her the exhibit that her parents are from because at this point she's found out that her parents live in this rehabilitation center yes um or that she was raised there uh kind of cut back to um nemo and uh marlin they're in the bay they've figured out that dory's been taken into this quarantine area um so they're trying to work their way into it. Uh, they end up talking to some seals and or sea lions. And uh, the sea lion characters are pretty fun. Like, it was a bit that they kind of overdid, but it was a fun bit. Gerald's uh, character was a bit sad, I guess. Yeah, yeah kind of. Uh, if you watched all the way through the credits, he got his, he got his due. He did. Yeah, it was fun. Um, but they end up working what kind of bird was was it martha Mm. kind of looked like a spotted loon yeah she definitely did um that's kind of what i was thinking too i was wondering if it was a loon i know i mean there's a good chance it could be maybe loons look different because i know as we've talked about in sudsbuds before fun loon facts loons migrate as far south as south america and gotta imagine that you know their Cal- appearance might change a little bit when they're dwelling in 90 to 100 degree weather for six months. So yeah, that's true. Maybe she's the old uh, south of the equator sub- summer loon. That could be it. Um, but either way. Uh, Beautiful bird. Yeah. Kind of like a mangy looking loon. Yeah, she was a mangy looking mo- loon. Um, but essentially, yeah, these sea lions call her over and Marlin uh, bonds with her. Yes. In order, and then she takes, a, puts them in a bucket, and then flies them to close to quarantine. Yes. Um, Marlin, not trusting the process, being the real Woody of the movie, um, kind of screws it up. Uh, she gets dropped on, they get put on a branch because Martha wants to eat some popcorn on the I thought ground. Nemo was Woody. No. Marlin's Woody. You said earlier Nemo was the Woody of the movie. I misspoke. Marlin is... got got, because that was where my disagreement was. I think oh. Marlin's the Oh, yeah. Woody. Marlin's... Marlin. Okay. You were I'll saying look... Woody complains a lot. Or, excuse me. Nemo complains a lot, and he is being an annoying teenager. Oh, no, no, and no. being the Woody. Oh, no, no, no. I meant Marlin. Yeah, you are right. It's called Finding Nemo. Whatever. Albert Brooks just kind of is Woody. Yeah, well, that's probably fair. Um, But, yeah. So, Marlin kind of screws it up. Tries to... um doesn't listen to Nemo, tries to escape that, and ends up uh, stuck somewhere else. While, and then um, Martha comes back, picks up the empty bucket, flies it over to quarantine. 
which really would have cut this movie down. Had Marlon not done that, I would have cut this movie down to like 20 minutes. <laughs> Half hour, 45 tops. Um, so then it's kind of just a thing where Marlon and Nemo are trying to get to quarantine. Well, Dory's not even in quarantine at this point. She's just exploring the rest of the area. Um, she finally gets to the exhibit where she was born and finds out that all of the blue fins, um, the type of fish that she is, are getting moved to their own exhibit in Oakland. So she has escaped quarantine, super far away from quarantine, and finds out quarantine is exactly where she needed to be. Um, then it's kind of a little Excuse adventure to... <laughs> little adventure to get back uh we meet a fun character a nearsighted whale shark and a beluga whale who got hit on the head kind of hard and doesn't think it can do um what's it called echolocation yes the yep yep sonar yep um but those two working together kind of help her navigate her way back to quarantine she gets through quarantine uh finds a um, meets up with Nemo and Marlin on her way there. Finds the box of bluegills or the crate of bluegills. Her parents aren't in there. So she kind of assumes that her parents are dead. Kind of gets disorientated. And through a series of mishaps ends up back in the ocean. Um, away from the truck getting loaded. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Nemo and Marlin are stuck. And uh, Hank the octopus are stuck in the truck. Um, so Dory kind of is going through all this, like a bunch of stuff's running through her head and eventually she sees some, uh, shells on the ocean floor, a little trail of shells. And it's a flashback to earlier in the movie where she liked shells and her parents built her a little shell pathway. Yep. If she ever got lost and confused to find her way home, she follows this shell pathway to a pipe. And there are her parents. Um, they had escaped quarantine and gone to the ocean and then stayed put knowing Dory would find her way back. Yes. Um, so there's a very heartfelt reunion. They go through some stuff. And then Dory realizes that she also needs to save Nemo and Marlin because they're stuck on this Oakland truck. We're going to call it the Oakland truck. I think it's Oakland. Works for me. Yeah. Um, and then there's this whole battle of getting them off the truck. Having Gil and our other friends from Nemo finding Nemo on that same truck. They are not. I told you. That, that's an end credit scene. But weren't they on that same truck that crashed? Nope. There's like a there's an end credit scene that they come back. Yeah, they were, but weren't they in the bags on that? truck or what where were they on that they wound up in the water oh no remember their bags were filthy when they came through like they just kept pushing their bags oh they're still floating from the first yep. movie and then they got picked up at the end of the movie that's what it is yeah my misunderstanding i thought i heard gill on on the truck like talking oh. no that would have had to have been a much bigger cameo yeah. you don't just put willem dafoe in like a one-liner in the middle of a movie Either gets a post credit scene or he's a main character. I digress. Um, that's why you do the uh, the 45-minute plot summaries. <laughs> Whatever, Eric. Um, anyway, so there's a whole battle of them trying to get 
Nemo and Marlin out of the truck. Um, they end up utilizing a lot of sea otters um, to make a cute blockade across the street. And, uh, and the sea otters are very cute. They are very cute. Yes. Uh, <laughs> a little cuddle party. I think yes. that's what they kept calling it. Yes. Um, and then Dory and Hank end up hijacking the truck. Yeah, what the hell? Yep. Talk about octopus being smart. Yep. Ends up hijacking the truck and they drive it into the bay. Yeah. Um, releasing all the fish. There's like a fun scene where it's slow motion and we get a little Louis Armstrong. Eat. Yep. There's fish eating other fish in the air and then they sneeze them out and it, it, that was a fun scene. I do love how even in that little montage moment, that like little moment of relief we get uh hank makes a clear decision that definitely helps his character where he kind of grabs dory and reels her in and protects her as they hit the water and that was like the first time we saw him kind of soften up a little bit and okay so this is one of my one of my bigger issues like with the whole rushed plot um there's a scene in the truck where dory is basically trying to convince so Hank this whole time has been trying to be on this truck to go to this sanctuary. There's never really been any super big heartfelt moments between the two other than like a couple references, but nothing major. And just those few small things convinces Hank to not get on the truck and go back to the ocean. And I hated that scene. Kind of weird. Like it was one of those like, I'm sure there was a lot more that was going to go into it and it all got cut. And then it just ends up, here's a character that's just kind of angry and wants to go on a truck. And all of a sudden, he's not angry and he doesn't want to go on the truck anymore. And we get no, like, change of heart as to why. Yeah. I don't know. I've got less beef with Hank than you. I do think he has a nice kind of change of heart. I do think that knowing that he was voiced by Ed O'Neill makes him a little more lovable. Ed O'Neill being lovable old man if you've seen uh modern family number of other things i mean he's just he's like that lovable curmudgeon he's that dude that's always cranky but you just want to like give him a hug and have him tell you a story but like the cranky character like there's plenty of movies with cranky characters this one was like he's cranky he's cranky he's cranky he's cranky small heartfelt speech that took like roughly a minute and all of a sudden he's better and he wants to tag along like complete change of heart. And that was my issue. Like it wasn't chipping away at him all movie. It was him moving Dory around this whole aquarium, getting on the truck, and he wanted to be on that truck. Yeah. And like even when he was on the truck, he was like pretending to be fish in a tank. And then all of a sudden he's he doesn't want to be on the truck anymore. I I hate it. Like I get it, what you're saying. I it kind of took me out of it a little bit. Yeah. As a character, I do think he can be unlikable at times. I do think he can be... Um, I mean, he's a curmudgeon, like I said. But at the same time, I think the issues that you're having, I don't associate so much with him as I just kind of associate with... I think this whole movie has an issue with pacing. No, and that... I'm not... Like, I'm not beefing on that character. Yeah. It's... This whole movie just is... Like, they had a lot, and they, like, I'm sure they had a huge script, and they just cut out huge chunks of it to make time. Yes. And that's what I'm talking about. Like, 
his character, again, was grumpy, grumpy, grumpy. Change of heart after a one-minute speech. And is going to change his entire life plan. Well, I'm interested to hear your final thoughts, man. Because I think we got some uh, we got some hot takes here. But let's All take right. us through the very last little... Because uh, I think by this point, we're in the, the final act, right? Or almost the end of the final act. Yeah. No, we're in the final act. Yeah. Yeah, they, they crash the truck into the ocean. Um, all the fish are set free. And uh, I think that's pretty much it. Or is there there's one, the there's, reuniting. Yeah, there's like the reuniting, the family thing. But like that's just kind of like a heartfelt reuniting. It has kind of a weak ending because she, Dory is having a conversation with Marlon, I believe, and then has like a flashback to her family oh. like as a kid. But, like, that's in, like, the final five minutes where, like, there's a lot of time taken up in that last, like, kind of closing wrap-up that's a flashback Mm -hmm. to Dory as a child. And it just, to me, that took me out of it. I think this movie kind of has a weak ending compared to Finding Nemo. It does. Um, An ending that feels kind of abrupt for a movie that felt kind of too long. It, it's weird that it felt too long, but also felt super rushed. Well, it felt, yeah, it it had that plague of feeling underdeveloped, where they wanted to do a lot. They kind of gave it that sequel treatment where it's like, here's the world we set up in the first one. Let's re-explore that world. Let's push the boundaries. Let's introduce more characters. Let's introduce more laughs, more gags. But then it fell victim to... It's it's hard for me to get behind a a Pixar movie that goes beyond, like... 120 you know most of them are sitting right above that 90 minutes between 90 and 110 minutes but it's mm-hmm. like when you start pushing that two hours what, man yeah what did this this clocked in at like 140 yeah i think it was just shy of two hours i'll get you an exact runtime on that um sure. but uh but yeah not not a great ending like i think there was like key scenes that they had to include and they tried to get the context for those scenes set up but, like, there is, I don't know, like, that whole truck racing scene. Only 97 minutes. 97. So, yeah. It felt it, way longer. It did. Um, but, I don't know. They're just, like I said, there was key parts that they it felt like they needed to have. And they tried to use all of, like, the, the context from the movie on those parts. Which was fine. And I get why they did it. But... There was a lot of scenes where it's like, oh, just running around doing random shit and it's fine. But like this isn't offering any more context or like doesn't make it feel like a complete movie. It makes it feel like a whole bunch of like different storyboards that made it on. And then it's it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I would say it's worth one watch. Well... One sea urchin. Let's save our very final thoughts on this till the end. But I believe that takes us through the plot of Finding Dory. Mm-hmm. And that means we're back to the beer. Hey, Papa Bram. So uh, we're just wrapping up drinking uh, Pairs Well, a collaboration from Portage Brewing out of Walker, Minnesota, and Ambibulous Beer, Spirits, and Wine, a maker's market, which is a Minneapolis liquor store that we love dearly um i'm gonna grab one last little swig of this this is a fruited hazy ipa with strawberry lemon hibiscus and belma hops and it's not bad huh, it's not bad um he i don't know it's kind of weird like 
a fruited hazy you know we've talked before about how like sours are kind of becoming like a like almost a buzzword for beer that doesn't taste like beer yeah like it's not even necessarily sour anymore it's just it's fruit like fruit juice and that and that's fine um i'm kind of get like if you had told me this is a fruited sour i also would have believed that like, i'm not getting a lot of the hop notes off of it um it was really good flavor and the the strizzle bizzle was coming through heavy i feel like the do double jizzle would love this bizzle <laughs> Maybe we've just been in the studio too long. Maybe I'm just... It's hot yeah. out here. It's worth mentioning that the studio is about 20 degrees warmer than every other room in this building. But uh, and, and sunny California is like 95 degrees right now. And that's for sure where we are. I love how I say building to make it not sound like a house. <laughs> and I love how you're saying it's Calif- It's great, man. It's great. Well, yeah, we're based out of California. That's where we're at. The grand facade. Exactly. That way, whenever we burn things on the brewer or on the episodes... They can't find us. They can't find us, yeah. Exactly, because we're actually in Florida. Toppling life. <laughs> <laughs> Roasted. But uh, I tell you what, I got my review for this one. Okay. Mind if I lay it on you? Lay it on me. All right. I'm giving it a 4-1. Okay. I like it. I didn't get a lot of the hazy IPA-ness, that hot profile right off the bat, but also... We were drinking this fresh off the top shelf of the Suds Buds fridge. Probably cracked it when it was about like 35 degrees or so. The beer, that is. It's like hot as shit outside. But uh, as it's warmed up now, I, I'm i pulling a little bit of that bitterness through. And Sure, why don't you pour me another swig? I, I, maybe that'll change. Because I was, I was kind of going to be a not harsh, but we'll try it again. I like it. Uh, 4-1. Strawberry's strong and it's good. It doesn't taste like a cheap puree that I've had in a lot of beers. It tastes the strawberry's nice. Um, Lemon hibiscus. I don't know, man. I don't know. It's not particularly tart. It's not particularly citrusy. I can't say I'm getting a lot of those flavors. I don't have hibiscus enough in my daily life outside of the occasional cup of tea. So for me to be like, yeah, that's the essence of hibiscus. No, it's. It's a strawberry beer, and the Belma hops are coming through as the temp of the beer rises a little bit, but I like it, man, and this is coming from a guy who's not a huge hazy guy. I don't have beef with hazies. I'm just kind of, and I wouldn't even say I'm hazied out anymore, just never was my go-to style, but this is something that I would buy again, and knowing that I'm supporting a small-town brewery up north and probably my favorite liquor store in the state... My new house is seven minutes away from Ambibulous. Dude. Big fan. Big fan. Um, we'll have to meet there for date nights. <laughs> Suds Bud's date nights is exactly. going to a liquor store. I've I mean, been, they have a I've barbecue truck. I've been winning truck. a lot of raffles lately. And they have a barbecue yeah, truck Yeah, they were outside. parked out there when I was there today. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit, hell yeah. Yeah. Um, Maybe after also... the show, we'll go get some uh, some chicken wings and, mm. and ribs. Mm. Be down for that. Actually, that'd be pretty great. <laughs> Um, all right. Anyway, back to your review here. So, yeah, you're not getting a lot of the lemon, not getting the hibiscus. Are you getting any salt from it? No, not particularly. No, maybe that's just me. 
I'm getting a little bit off it. As as it's been established, your palate is substantially more refined than mine. That, I, I've got the peasant palate, as mm. you you constantly remind people. I mean, again, as a daily hibiscus connoisseur, Mister um, Belgian yeah, himself, exactly. Um, a rather uh, yeah, big big hibiscus guy. Yeah, I'm not a hibiscus guy. Before we record, Nate's Tuesday mornings consists of going foraging for rare uh, Midwest. Uh, uh, occurring botanicals in yeah. the local prairies and and uh, preserves and 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 um, is that what I was looking for Ar- arboretums arboretums Nate's big... I, I sneak into people's arboretums to steal their hibiscus you're the only person I've seen that has arboretum in their tinder their tinder bio well I mean if you're gonna do something do it well yeah you know what I'm saying and like it, my <laughs> actually. My Tinder bio literally just says, the hair of Jason Momoa, the body of not Jason Momoa. And it also just says, I'm gainfully employed. That's that's all it's got. It's a good bio. Leave me alone. It's fine. It's fine. Nate's got pretty good hair, and I'm a... I'm a Eric used to have good hair. I'm a former then, long hair. I still have good hair. I just don't have long hair. Don't take that from me. I got great I, I, hair. I will take it from you. Um, you've lost it, and uh, that's fine. You know, you're doing fine for yourself. Now you can be a hat guy again. Yeah, just wait till I go gray before you. It's gonna look fantastic. <laughs> you would look. I I feel like with some like stripes of gray in there, you could do it. I just want to get like gray temples. I want to look like Mister Fantastic, dude. <laughs> Weird stretchy ass, <laughs> lanky ass. Yeah. Actually, okay. no. Screw the gray temples. I want to be able to like stretch my arms to like twenty feet. Give me that. I, I feel like those aren't mutually exclusive. I could be wrong, but I guess yeah. If you have to pick one, would you rather have super? I mean, stretchy? if you're saying I can have both, I'll take both. Yeah, I'll take both. But I mean, you. That was kind of a weird statement for you to make. Like, if <laughs> you have to pick one between having gray hair on your temples or super stretchy arms like i mean it's like one i'll get inevitably with time the other one i might need like elon musk's help (laughs) jamie uh please look up elon musk's help number yeah please look up uh elon musk stretchy arms (laughs) at at tesla for sure googling that i just want to i'm gonna look up elon musk stretchy arms uh, yeah. You could finish with your review. Uh, yeah, Elon Musk is not a friend of the show. He's fine. He's fine. So he's fine. He's got a billionaire. I'm not. He is a billionaire. He's probably got a billionaire too, but I'm not gonna back any billionaires on Suds Buds. Nope. That's not eat, what we're here to do. Eat the rich. But uh, we're meandering. Uh, so I gave this beer a four-one. Nate. Um, I might go. Actually, four-one's pretty good. Um, I, I don't have any complaints about the beer. Match me. I dare you. I won't. Match me at that 4-1, baby. Meet me in the middle. Ooh, that's not the middle. How is matching you the middle? You, I... It just takes some time. <laughs> we're, we're closing out this episode with the middle by Jimmy Eat World. That's, uh, I, I, I'm going to, I might, I'm not going to put the kibosh on it, but I feel like we can get something better. We can do better. We can do better. Um. No, this the beer was really good. The flavor was really good. I did kind of get like a weird salt thing at the end, and that might have been like, like a lemon pull from it. 
I'm not entirely sure. But like, it's just like a weird thing that happens right at the tail end. That like, we've had a couple like sea salt beers. Yeah, but I mean, you've also got a basket of French fries sitting in your lap that I you've been plowing a... down on since we started recording, man. I don't have. I've a told of you French how many fries. times not to eat on Mike. I've told you how many times. I don't have a basket of French fries that I'm eating on air. Well, Mr. Eric Salty is... Fingers over there, my beer tastes like sodium. Okay, okay. We're just going to finish this review. No, that's fine, that's fine. I'll just do this shit. I'm sorry. I feel like the more I talk, the worse I'm hurting Nate's review. I'll just do this myself. Well, then I have... Maybe Not even your... your review. Your, your review doesn't matter. I feel like the more I talk, I'm hurting the outcome for for portage and umbibulous because you're going to give them a spite review because i'm talking shit about your palate or i have to match your review that way no one can call my review into question yeah well i mean if you match my review it makes us both good (laughs) shit so unless i give this a 4-1 i'm in the wrong well if you give it better than a 4-1 it makes me look like a dick but i feel like you're not going to do that after talking about how much salt you taste in it. if you don't think i'll give a review out of spite for you you are dead wrong you can't see it in the studio right now, but I'm giving Nate, like, the Daniel LaRusso, like, come here. Like, I'm about to freaking wheel kick him in the chin. <laughs> Love to see it. You only, you only got lanky-ass arms. You ain't got lanky-ass eggs. Legs, not eggs. What? You wanted stretchy arms. Not stretchy legs. Your leg, can't reach, your leg cannot reach my chin right now. Try it. Try this, it. This episode's going to end like the end of Karate Kid. The first one. Oh, okay. Wait. I'm going to break your leg? No, I'm just going to front kick you. Oh, okay. So, like, kind of <laughs> like the end of Karate Kid. But you don't get any of the bad parts. Yeah, I mean, so you I just... break my leg, but I come back. Like, you'll probably break my leg right before the second break. and oh, then I was planning on it. The but break. Like... It'll be the break before the break. and then I was planning on it, but I don't like getting told what to do, so I might not do it now. Yeah, well, Sam is my Mr. Miyagi, and you're just a... Uh... Wait, Samantha or Salsa Dave? Salsa Dave. Salsa Dave. Anyway, uh, I'm gonna go. I think I'm gonna go a solid. I'm gonna go three nine on it. Um, I really did enjoy it, but there's like a weird, there's a weird kind of bite at the end of it that I wasn't a huge fan of. Like it seems like a very good kind of summertime beer. Oh yeah. Um, also, it's really low ABV uh, for a hazy. And a fruited, like... 5% on the schnutz. Yeah, like, fruited normally kind of signals to me that it's going to be higher, because they can hide a little more alcohol. And hazy also tends to be higher. So I kind of... When I heard the name, I was like, ooh, this is going to be a big boy. But 5%, super manageable. Um, Would absolutely buy again. Probably will. Um, I didn't get a lot of hazy from it, and that might just be too much strizzle-bizzle in it. Not too much. It was a it was a good amount, and kudos for not take making it taste medicinal. Yes, because holy shit, every time I get like a fruited anything, it's like a fifty percent chance that it's gonna taste like cough syrup. I would say maybe the best strawberry I've tasted in a beer on this show outside of the henpeck from Lupulin. That henpeck was good. I had that on tap. I think we talked yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At that pizza joint by your place, right? No, no. This was over in Hastings. Oh, in Hastings. Yeah. That's and right. With your grandpa. Yep. With with Gramps. Grandpa Roger. <laughs> good guy. I, I love Grandpa Roger. I've never He's met great. Grandpa Roger, but 
as someone who tented in someone's grandparents' yard this weekend, I'd be honored to tent in the back of Grandpa Roger's yard. <laughs> I'm sure he'd let you, but like, and he'd probably bring you coffee. He's, I'd make him breakfast. He's very proud that he learned how to use like the coffee machine recently, um, which Wait, is which is very exciting for him. Like he he learned how to use the coffee machine. Has so he been now, a lifelong coffee drinker? Yeah, yeah. Um, how? My grandma always made him coffee before, um, but like now he just has to make the coffee on his own. But like he loves offering coffee to people now, like which is just kind of like this fun thing. He's like, "Hey, you want a cup of coffee?" Like you know when like a a kid learns how to do something. Yeah. And or like an adult. Yeah. Or yeah, literally when anybody learns how to do it, and then they're like, "I'm gonna do this all the time because I like doing it because I know how to do it now." Dude, I feel that so hard. 2017, I learned how to tie my own shoes, and for like the next two months. I could not help but go around and tie everybody else's shoes. In what year? 2017. So four years ago. Shit, has it been that long already? <laughs> he hasn't yeah. offered to tie my shoes one time. Well, I didn't know you then. That's true. That's true. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, once you learn how to snap your fingers, like you're snapping all the time. But oh, I still snap all the time. Yeah, I, you I, also I... drum on everything, dude. Well, yeah. I'm sorry, is this the Nate interrogation show? It's not. Where we talk good Nates with interrogating Nates. It's not. I really got to pee and we should go to a break. But All uh, right, fine. We'll go to a break. I gave it, uh, what, what did I put it at? 3-9? 3-9. That's yeah, uh, like pair as well. It's a fruited hazy IPA from uh, Portage and Ambibulous crossover collaboration. Yep. And It, uh, it is yeah. a pear beer made with well water. Uh, we'll see you right after the break. And Strizzle Bizzles. Wait, what? Hi. Hello there. Can you help me? Oh! All right, I'll go with you. Excuse me. Hi. Who is that? Is that Blue Blob talking? Can you help me? I lost my family. You lost your family? Well, it's a long story, and truth be told, I don't remember most of it. Oh, that is so sad. You poor thing. Hello, and thank you for sticking with us. We're back with some fun facts. Eric's Fun Fact Corners. I need, you bram, to go, bram, bram, bram. I need you to make me a little song for that, Nate. Bram, You're like bram, the graphics bram, guru. Bram, 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 bram. Fun facts tune. I'm just going to do that the whole time you're talking. I'm jo- this is John Cena's fun facts. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get to the fun facts, what do you say we crack open our next beer? Uh, or as, we, as the Suds Buds like to say, crack open that conversation. It did it already. You didn't have to vocal, whatever. I uh, echoed it. Today we've got the for a second beer we got the Utapils uh Pontoon Afternoon, a raspberry Kolsch style. Um, we've had some Utapils on in the past. Always been a big fan. Uh, I know we've done their K fan. Their Hefenweizen is fantastic. The, the Hef is probably my favorite in the city. Um, I'm trying to think their Belgian Quad, uh, Quadrilaga. Yeah. Yep. That one's fun. It's fun to drink in the tap room because they got like Quadrilaga's specific glasses that are like a weirdly thick glass. Sure. You know, like when you're looking into weirdly thick glass, like, or for this one, like, if you're at a certain angle, like, you can see where the level's actually at, but then you're looking through glass and it also shows the top of it like much farther down. It. Yeah. I don't know. It was a really weird experience. I was probably a little buzzed up. <laughs> I was drinking Quadrilaga. That's, that will happen. 
I'm a big fan of their uh, You Old the Dark, too, their Dunkelweizen. Oh, that one's good. It's a good one. And they make it all year round. They so do. you can get that fix. And, uh, sorry, what was the style of this beer again? This is a raspberry Kolsch. Ooh, I got a little bit of rasbizzle. Yeah. Um, I forgot my glass, so I'm just going to drink straight out of the can. I like it. Yeah. Well, cheers, mate. Hey, cheers. Bye-bye. Uh, but anyway, back to Eric's fun fact corner. Yeah. So here we go. Did you know that Nemo was recast? Uh, so basically, Alexander Gold, the original voice actor of Nemo, he was 22 when this movie was in production. Um, so 12-year-old Hayden Rollins uh, had to step in to voice the character. He was offered the job before recording ever even began. And... Um, yeah, he had to keep it a, a secret from friends and extended family. And despite being replaced, uh, original actor of Nemo, Alexander Gold, does make a special cameo in the film. But I did not figure out what that was. So, huh, yeah. Probably just a passerby fish or something. Maybe a kid. That could be. There's, I mean, there's a ton of characters in this. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, um, also, when you said Hayden, I just thought Hayden Christensen. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Like, n- no. Definitely not. An- Anakin's little little Annie. Little Annie. Annie Christensen. <laughs> uh, did you know that Destiny, who is uh, the whale shark, shark, voiced by Caitlin Olsen, gotta love her, D from uh, It's Always Sunny, um, she was the one who taught Dory how to speak whale. And because she's technically a whale shark, it explains why Dory doesn't have a great understanding of the language. So. Ah. Checks that. out a little bit. I mean, yeah, it checks out. Um, number one, because you know that the Suds Buds love math. Uh, did you know that 103,639 th- storyboards were delivered to editorial after three and a half years of drafting? Uh, for reference, that's... Or, excuse me, I'm butchering this. For reference, only... 49,651 storyboards were submitted for Toy Story 3. So basically, that is over 50,000 more storyboards went into this film. And it came out around the same time as Toy Story 3. So, handful of years after. But I mean, yeah, in that same decade. I mean, maybe that kind of has to do with like the pacing and like kind of just, again, it kind of felt like a clip show almost. Yeah. Where like, they just had so many good ideas that like it ended up not being as cohesive as the other movie. Yeah, I kind of agree. Um, maybe that is it. Maybe it's also just, you know, they get more meticulous and advanced after each film. I mean, sure. We've we've mentioned some stats on here before that are just baffling. I mean, Pixar, if there's a company that goes above and beyond. Yep. They're one of them. Um but moving on, did you know that Dory found a home with Marlon and Nemo who welcomed them into their family with open arms? So uh, filmmakers actually study the psychology of adoption to fully understand how Dory would feel to be a part of an adopted family. Huh. Okay. So talk about the first film. They got big into kind of, you know, taking these marine biology courses and things like that. In this film, they're actually studying... Taking psych classes, which is pretty fascinating. See you staring at that can. 
It's just, it's a really good beer. It is a good beer. <laughs> yeah, like they, they knocked it out of the park with this one. Um, Keeping it moving, did you know that the director downplayed the role of humans so the film would focus mostly on Dory? He did this by making the humans mostly silhouettes or, you know, kind of being out of focus or in the background or other techniques, which is pretty apparent because, I mean, there's a lot of humans in this film, a lot mm-hmm. of crowds, but compared to Finding Nemo, the first one where, like, we have these dentist office scenes and Darla and things like that, there's not really any dialogue coming from humans in this film outside of Sigourney Weaver. Exactly, yeah. Sigourney Weaver, who doesn't have a character in the movie. But is a human. Yep. <laughs> Apparently, um, as, we've, as we've discussed, she's 70, doesn't look 70. She, mm, she might not be human. Yeah, um, definitely but, a megazord. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she's, I'm pretty sure she's at least 70 feet tall. Last I checked. Uh, Jamie, look up her Wikipedia page again. Jamie, look up Sigourney Weaver height and megazord. <laughs> yeah, I'm still waiting on those results for Elon Musk's stretchy arms. Um, but that, I don't I guess I hadn't really thought about that because like, the only characters... Like, one of the main characters, human-wise, or some of, like, the most um, present ones were basically just the staff looking for the octopus. Yes. Like, that was it. And they talked about that several times, but, yeah, there was never really any dialogue between those characters. No, not really. But, uh, yeah. Uh, did you know that Albert Brooks was given a lot more wiggle room for improvisation in this film? So in Finding Nemo, Marlin, who's voiced by Albert Brooks, was dealing with a lot. Um, with that burden lifted in Finding Dory, he was able to do a bit more improv in the film, and the results were hilarious. So, yeah, that first film was a little more um, structured, a little more regimented. You know, he kind of, his dialogue was pretty set in stone because it was such a big part of the plot and the arc of the film, whereas in this one... He's kind of a tag-along. Yeah. I mean, it's 90% Dory, and then the other 10% is just kind of split between Nemo and Marlin. Yeah. Like, they did cut to them, but it was mostly following Dory. Yeah. Um, I would say in the first one, it was like a 50-50 kind of split. I think it plays well, because I think Marlin's lightened up a little bit more in this one. I mean, he's still got kind of those um, neurotic tendencies, but I think at the end of the day, he's a little more... A little more easygoing than the first one. Kind of willing to take a back seat and let things play out in front of him. Yeah, which is kind of the point of the first movie is to get him to that. Yeah. Okay, sure, sure. Uh, so this one is about Hank. Did you know that Hank, the octopus, had seven tentacles for a reason? So the octopus tapered tentacles were designed separately from his body. And when they tried to attach them, uh, the animators that is, uh, only seven of the tentacles really fit. So later on, they decided to work the affliction into the script. Another fun fact regarding the tentacles is that there are 50 suckers per arm, which makes for a total of 350 in all. Damn. Um, I, well, it's kind of weird that that like, was an accident that they did. Because like for the seven, or only having seven... And, like, this whole thing being a rehabilitation center for it. Mm-hmm. Like, that played really well. Because you're like, oh, he lost a tentacle doing some shit. Like, it was m- r- mentioned by, like, Dory, I think. Yeah. That he only had seven several times. 
Um, but like, I, I didn't, it hadn't dawned on me. Like, it was one of those, oh yeah, it's a rehabilitation center. He got injured. That makes sense. It's kind of fun that it was just like, uh, uh, we can only make seven work real well. Eight would make it weird, so that'll be his injury. Yeah, cool example of them taking an animation limitation and uh, making it part of the script. So yeah, kind of yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did you know Finding Nemo cast members weren't the only ones to be reunited in Finding Dory? Uh, so while many of the characters from the first film were reunited for the project, filmmakers had another reunion in mind when they were looking for actors to portray the sea lions, Fluke and Rudder. They uh, actually ended up casting Idris Elba and Dominic West, uh, both English actors, who uh, were originally cast in the roles um, together on the film. Or, excuse me. They were originally cast in roles together um, in the show The Wire. Oh. So, kind of took their old uh, duo, that old tandem, and, and put it in a children's film. Put it back together. All right. Which, The Wire, great show actually never watched it i've heard good things but one of those i've never finished it's kind of like the sopranos for me where i know how it ends and i've like picked it up here and there but like always enjoyed it i think i've seen the first and the entirety of the first season of the wire but uh not a children's film it's uh pretty heavy but very very good writing yeah please wire responsibly it's a dark one um how many seasons are there I want to say like five or six. Oh, shit. Because I just finished uh, The Expanse not too long ago. That was the last one I kind of dived deep on. Yeah. Would highly recommend it. If you like sci-fi shit, highly recommend it. Nice. Um, yeah, really well done. The last season's coming out, I think, in February or something like that. I don't remember. I'm pretty sure it's this fall or winter. Um, I always kind of like to know... Like when they when a show's finishing up and they announce that it's the last season while it's still in production, that does make me a little more comfortable. Obviously, there are potential Game of Thrones situations, but for the most part, like you know, the story is going to be kind of wrapped up with a little trail off, but it'll be pretty much wrapped up. Yeah. Um, and you, yeah, you're not left with any of those dumb cliffhangers that like were supposed to be for the next one. Sure. I hate that part. Yeah, me too. Me too. Speaking of which, wasn't Game of Thrones supposed to have like three spinoffs out already? I know they they got one coming out soon. I don't know that. It's amazing how bad of a taste that last season left in everyone's mouth. Haven't watched an episode of the show and will never. Yeah, you'll be all right unless like that's what I hear. Like I said, uh, all the seasons are really great, and then the last one happened, and it kind of distracts from how great everything else was. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want any part of that. Yep. Moving along, though. Did you know that the Pizza Planet truck, truck that is used uh, to make delivery to Pizza Planet... I don't know why that is worded that way. Uh, Yeah, Pizza Planet truck from Toy Story. It appears twice in this movie as a wrecked, sunken vehicle in the area where Dory, Marlin, and Nemo encounter the giant squid as well as on the freeway passing by the truck heading to Cleveland. Oh. I'll be honest with you, I missed both of those. Yep. I feel like I would have noticed that. Like, I love finding that. Like, it's in almost every movie, so it's fun to find it. It's sometimes more obscure, and sometimes it's like they hold on it, you know? Mm-hmm. Where you can tell, but... I, like, I noticed... 
I didn't notice a lot of callbacks in this one, but I did, like, in Finding Nemo, uh, like, Buzz was on the floor in the dentist's office, like, as, like around the play chest and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't notice a ton of references in either movie. No. Not nearly as many as were, like, in Toy Story 4 or Monsters, Inc. or anything like that. Right. Like no, they, I totally agree. Those were riddled with them. And finally, the last fun fact for today. Um, did you know that the voice intercom at the Marine Life Institute, as frequently said in the film, uh, is Sigourney Weaver? Oh, and, really? Really? Sigourney Weaver is Sigourney Weaver? And this is actually her second Pixar role, as she voiced the main computer of the Axiom, the ship that moves... Or the ship, excuse me, in the movie Wally from 2008, which was also directed by... Andrew Stanton. So, yeah, look at those buds. Just, just doing, just doing bud things. Bud things. Exactly. Maybe we should have one of the suds bud. You know how they do. <laughs> um, but again, we don't have a lot for music here, so we're just gonna move along into the music for this film. Um, this film's soundtrack was composed by Randy Newman's cousin, Thomas Newman, or as we call him on the show. Tommy Newman. Oh, old Tom. And uh, the soundtrack was released on June 17th, 2016. Now, this one, we do have some original music. We've got Louis Armstrong's version of What a Wonderful World. Not going to try to do a Louis Armstrong impression. All right, that's good. I, I was worried uh, on last week's episode when we were talking about Ray Romano. I was like, oh, he's going to do a Ray Romano. Like, I was looking at you. I was like, he's going to do and it. I did. It? Yeah, he I did. did it. He did, did it. it. It's a fun one. It's a good Ray Romano impression. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so Louis' version of, uh, and that's Armstrong, not CK, or Anderson, uh, his version of What a Wonderful World is played during the scene in which the fish are released into the ocean as the truck Dory and Hank are driving, that sounds re- ridiculous, uh, crashes into the water. So, love that, love that scene. That's one of those animation flexes where, like, I watched that scene and I'm like, okay, this has come yeah. a long way since Finding Nemo. Yeah. But one of the few. They did a really good job with that one. Um, but also we have another original song. So on May 20th, 2016, Sia performed a cover of Nat King Cole's Unforgettable on the Ellen DeGeneres show. And uh, yeah, that followed an announcement that said it would be featured in the film. And that is the... Final song that plays over the credits, and damn, great song, loved it. Gotta say though, felt very out of place. Yeah, I mean, I so that is a song. If I like old, old like fifties jazz and pop, and so I'm I'm familiar with the Nat King Cole version of that song, mm-hmm. but it's also a song that's been covered by like 30 different artists. I think Kenny Rogers has a cover of it. There's a number of people. Um, Sia's version of that song sounds like something that got cut from a Bond movie. Straight up. Like, that... Very... Throw that over the opening credits of any James Bond movie from the last 20 years and I will be a happy man. It sure. is epic, it's big, it's got a lot of range, it's it's just a, I think it plays for a better opening song than it does a closing song. Well, and 
what what I don't like about that I'm glad that you already brought it up. What I didn't like about that closing song was that that's not what it's about. Like that like you can just it's kind of like how we very loosely have sometimes tied beers into our episodes. Yeah. Um like all of them were fairly aquatic themed today. Um and last week. And last week. But like that is straight up not what the song is about. And then they just kind of like shoehorned it in, but they got a really good version of it, but it's not what it's about. And yeah, it feels bad to knock it because it's a great song. Like, yep. I'm not against that appearing in Pixar. I just, it seemed like a wrong time, wrong place, not the right genre. I don't know. Like, for me, honestly, best thing they could have done for a closing one, if they wanted to kind of keep it in the same tune as the first film, mm-hmm. give me another version of Under the Sea. It's yep. another song that's been covered a million times. Yep. Give me a different classic or modern rendition of, or excuse me, Beyond the Sea. Beyond the Sea. Or Not Under the Sea. But Beyond the Sea. Under the Sea. I think I would have played. I mean... Look at how much mileage Toy Story got out of You Got a Friend in Me. True. And you like, can do it. And yeah, exactly. And like it was never it never felt out of place. It never felt overdone. And these movies were super far apart. So again, it would have been fine, but No, you're right. Like it, it's just like this Again, un <laughs> just because Dory forgets a lot and the song's called Unforgettable, that doesn't that's not what that means. Like, it, you can't... It was shoehorned in. Um, and I don't know why they got away with it. Like, this movie, kind of its entirety, felt like a almost straight-to-DVD movie that yes. was just good enough to get over the bar. Yes. And I... Yeah. I don't know. Not... not wasn't the biggest fan of this one. What do you say for this one? We do it a little backwards because I know we're not stoked about this movie, but I think we kind of like this beer. Yes. So Would what do you, you like s- a little more before I finish the rest of it? I think I'm all right. I got a all heavy right. pour and I still got like a third left here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm about there. But thank you, Nate. Nate, you're a gentleman and a scholar. Well, that's what everybody says about me. Gentleman, um, scholar, uh, expert in um, Australian sea law, Nate. Good hair, voluptuous. Yep. That's what they all Those say. All things. It's like... Stop calling me voluptuous all the time. People are like, nah, nah, you're voluptuous. I'm like, shit. All right. If you say so. <laughs> Got to fight him off with that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, let's let's flip things around. Let's uh, let's finish on a high note here. Um, so I'm going to start with my film rating. This might change. We're not going to set this in stone. Things might need to be reshuffled along the ways. But as for right now, this is taking my last spot, which I believe is number nine. Is that right? Uh, we had four, then we had two. I believe three. Nemo is number eight. Yeah, this would be the ninth movie. So that takes us about a third of the way through the Pixar library, which, damn, that's crazy, man. Yep. Um,. But yeah, ninth place, man. I just, while it's prettier than some of the movies ahead of it, i.e. Toy Story 2, Bugs Life, 
maybe even the first Monsters, Inc. I, the story feels haphazard and rushed and cluttered and it just kind of suffers from that too many cooks in the kitchen. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe from a production aspect and also maybe from just the characters that we are introduced to on screen. It's like, there's a lot of really great voice actors that they introduced to this film. And I feel like outside of maybe Hank, none of them are really given the time that they're due. And so because of that, it's taken up the caboose for me. Number nine spot for the nine Pixar films that we re- reviewed uh, thus far. Um, I'm actually, I think earlier we were talking about it and I was going to give it a little higher rating, but the more we've talked about it, like the more I realized what kind of bothered me about this movie and just the general lack of like cohesiveness throughout the whole thing. I mean, we're talking music, we're talking like the big scenes, like everything just kind of felt like slapped together like a clip show Mm -hmm. and it didn't click with me. I think I'm also going to put it at number nine there. Okay. Yeah. Like I just, I was kind of toying because i know i think monsters U is in number eight but with all my issues with monsters U, at least that story like clipped along at a normal pace it felt like a movie that i was watching and it was lighthearted. yeah and i think that's the thing for me where it's like i love dramatic films but i think even like my time spent in film school and out of film school where i was actively crewing and and you know, being a department head on films, I was drawn to things that didn't take themselves too seriously. Sure. I was never a huge horror guy, but loved working on horror films, especially goofy horror films, Um, goofy sci-fi, comedy, things like that. Things where they were self-aware, but you were able to kind of flub along the way and laugh at it as long as you knew what you were doing, I guess. And I think... As much as I love drama, I, like, setting out to make some sort of, like, dramatic indie film was never, like, at the top of my list just because I know it's so hard to do. Mm-hmm. And if you miss, you miss so hard. And that fall is so far. And I feel like, I gotta be honest, I think that's kind of what happened with Finding Dory was, like, I think this movie because monsters inc is also in my eight spot that's just above this i believe or no toy story 2 monsters or monsters U is just above toy story 2 i believe sure like in number seven but monsters U is funny and monsters U is a movie that wants you to take it lightly yeah and giggle your way through it and have flashbacks to college or reminisce about other college films whereas like this movie kind of demands your undivided attention and most of it is not happy Nope. And like when your comedic relief character is Idris Elba is like a California sea lion. It's like, come on guys. Like you you had something like, like they, they got through the pitch. Like here's our comedy relief. And then like, and he's got like 20 seconds of screen time. And like, um, we're going to skip past most of it. You got Caitlin Olsen. That's all I'm going to say. Like give her character like 20 more minutes and cut out like six other characters. And you probably got a lot better product. Yep. Like, it, it kind of felt like, because Finding Nemo is a huge success. So, I'm assuming then that, like, 
there's just a lot of people that wanted to be on this movie. It's that classic sequel treatment we talk about. Yeah. You know? Where it's like, I understand that y'all want to be a part of this, but, like, that means we have to give everybody, like, a, a chunk of dialogue. And that shit adds up. Yeah. Like, Dory's story was, it was fine throughout, but, like, and that was, like, 90% of it. But, like, it was all so rushed. Again, like, the basically the whole thing is she remembers her family. They get to the aquarium. Then they mess around in the aquarium for, like, they get to the aquarium within a half hour. And then they mess around in the aquarium for the remaining hour. And, like, okay, awesome. But, like, I don't know, it just moved really quick. And throwing all these cameos in constantly made it real hard to give a crap about any of the other characters in the movie i yeah no i fully agree um i guess the one last thing i wanted to mention is like this movie had a lot of aquarium scenes as did um well i guess finding nemo we spent a lot of time in one aquarium in the dentist office but like that aquarium in the dentist office of finding nemo that was like the home to like most of my favorite scenes from that movie I love that ensemble of characters in there. I loved kind of their, like, they were all flawed, but they all kind of had this unanimous goal or or unified goal of, of getting out and getting back to the ocean and getting Nemo there first, even though they all had their own quirks and fears and yep. shortcomings. They worked as a unit, and I feel like the aquarium in both films um, symbolizes some form of, like, isolation or confinement. But I think I realized... After watching Nemo, it's like, damn, that setting is so much more lonely when the animals are in their own aquarium. You know what I mean? Kind of like on the truck where it's like you had all these other aquariums, but they're kind of all like isolated. Where it's like, I think in Finding Nemo, the scenes where you had all these characters working together from within this box trying to get out. Mm. It's really like powerful scenes. And like, I mean, having Gil and like the starfish who I loved, like. Even the fish that was just like she thought her reflection was her sister yes and like when the tank got dirty she's like swimming around has anybody seen flow and it was like she can't see through the glass or she can't see her reflection yeah yeah there was the germaphobe there was the 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 bubble guy the french crab that came uh, out and cleaned people Jacques. Like, Jacques. it was just there was more time it felt like a movie that knew what it was trying to do set out and it did it whereas this just kind of Felt like a movie with a bit of an identity crisis. Yep. And a, and a rushed one at that. It's like a bunch of people wanted to be in the movie, and they kind of had to force a whole bunch of parts that didn't seem overly necessary. And it can be done. Example, Toy Story 4. Yep. A movie we both love, dude. Like, I don't think it holds either of our top spots, but like top three for both of us. And it's like, we got Key and Peele, we got Keanu Reeves, we got the return of Bo Peep, we got a bunch of new side characters, and they crushed it. Yep. They gave everyone their time, not too much, not too little. Your OG characters got their lines, it was... Yep. It all played together in harmony, and I feel like this film... Missed the mark on it. Missed the mark. And we'll see. Maybe at the end of this it finishes middle of the pack, but for now... It's, uh, it's taking up the tail. Like I said, I think I know what's going to take up my tail, but uh, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll, we'll figure, figure it out. It out I, think, I, I feel like you're going to be a pretty anti-Cars guy, specifically hey. Cars 3. No spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> we'll find out in a few weeks, folks. Um, 
But before we get out of the sweltering hot studio today, we got a beer to review. Oh, Nate, this beer comes to us from Utapils. 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 Not Utapils. Utapils. It's actually fun because this is Ooh, yeah. very similar to how my last name is spelled. Um, pontoon Afternoon, Raspberry Kolsch style. Uh, can't really call a Kolsch a... Or you can't call a Kolsch a Kolsch in the u.s that's just not how it works uh you have to call it a Kolsch style um but really well done um that a nice level of, i mean it's a very standard very light Kolsch, but nice level of sweetness with the raspberry uh this is for sure like a cr- like a weekend crush um could definitely drink a lot of these i'm gonna probably put this at like a four four um it, it's definitely on the sweeter side, but it's not a sugar bomb for me, which was nice. Um, a lot of those like fruited beers, especially like a post, yeah, like a, a bright tank fruit or however they added it. A lot of them can be over the top. This one really hit that mark for me. It was light. It was sweet, not overly and uh, highly recommend. This is a, it's a crowd-pleaser kind of beer. So 4-4, four, four, you said. 4-4 four, four for me. Don't know if I can top that. I got one last little swig here. All right. I do want to get this in here real quick because I thought this was a fun little fact. But uh, did you know that uh, Utapils, pronounced U-T-A-Pils, is a Norwegian word that literally translates to outdoors lager? Oot, meaning out, outside or outdoors, and pills, meaning lager. It's uh, the last fun fact. That's all you got. I'm going to say Eric's beer fun facts, too. You fun fact hounds. I'm going to say we're going to have to shoot. Shoot, shoot. That's enough for you guys tonight. Come back next week. We'll have more fun facts. We'll be talking Incredibles. We'll get more fun facts for you. Get out of here. I'm walking here. (laughs) I'm talking here. Get out. Um... I don't know, man. I, I really like this beer. Again, they pulled off the raspberry well. Yep. I like it for the same reason I liked these strizzle bizzles in the last one. Um, I'm going to give it a four. I'm going to give it a four. Okay. Would buy again. Would drink again. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Nick, Nate. Excuse me. Nick. No, I take that back. Nick picked this one up. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's the first fruited beer I've had from... Uta pills, and um, so they they kind of avoided it for a while. Yeah, um, they were really trying to stick with like nothing but classic styles, and I, I commend them for that. Um, they did them well. Yep, and yeah, like I said, they got just a killer Hefeweizen, killer Dunkelweizen, um, but like you do kind of got to branch a little bit. It's true. Um, but yeah, they knocked this one out of the park. I'm about it. I'm yep. about it. About it. Big fan. Well, folks, thanks for uh, tuning in this week. That takes us to the end of Finding Dory, the Pixar hit from 2016. The Finding Um, series. Feel free to check that out on your own time. Don't always take our word for these films. You might love something we don't like, and you might not like something we like. That's what makes the world go round. And if you disagree with me, you're wrong. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) What he said. All right, everybody. 
Please uh, Pixar responsibly. Feel free to check us out on social media, SudsBudsPod on Instagram, or shoot us an email. That's uh, SudsBudsPod at gmail.com. We'll read it on the air. We'll answer your questions. We will not read it on the air. We will read it we on the air. We might read it Nate, on the air. Nate, shut your mouth. <laughs> well, I'm going to send We'll take your suggestions. We'll read it on the air. We'll, I, we'll shout out whatever you think you I got. ain't got burner accounts, boy? I got burner accounts. Don't listen to him. He's the heel of the show. <laughs> All right, everybody. Be safe and take it easy. And until next time. Woo! <laughs>